tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Mad Dog Time, the Paperboy, Mordecai, after last season. The World is Wrong is an extremely positive podcast where Andras Jones and Brian Connolly champion films The World is Wrong About. Available on Paperhouse Network wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Hi, this is John Easdale from Dramarama, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with your host, Andras Jones. Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. Here in the studio, tempting fate Wherever you are Putting questions to the songs that we have randomly selected With the help of our friends, synchronicity is Radio Wave Ball, give us a shake, 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 shake Radio Wave Ball Shake, 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 shake Is the radio eight-ball show Welcome to the Radio 8-Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8-Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Where we are engaging the Pop Oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app. If you're an iPhone user, it's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations, just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen Pop Oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, I was about to ask a question when I was interrupted with late-breaking national news. Should I meet the fire of the moment with my own fire or keep it under wraps? So let me just open up the... Ah! Well, you know this now, but I just saw it. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, so uh, you know what? Cancel my question. Uh, Let's just... Uh, let's just play a song for RBG. Which resulted in this randomly chosen pop oracle song, Beach Bum, from Miranda Zeiger, recorded on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California, on June 18th, 2018. I can't hear you. There, I can now. Everyone's busy with their real jobs. They feed their families and they walk their dogs They got a construct they find purpose in Sometimes they lose and sometimes they win Last week's episode kind of broke my brain Maybe in a good way Let's say in some good ways Particularly as it relates to this podcast First of all, although I know some of you love the Me on Me episodes where I interview myself, 
I always view these as a kind of failure, since I only do them when I can't get the guest of my choice, and on top of that, am also unable to find a suitable replacement. So last week's episode was a failure, marked by an interruption, and a really sad one, and yet, I think it may have been one of the better ones. Is it even worth trying to make these good, if the best episodes are the ones where everything goes wrong? I mean... It takes pretty much the same effort either way. I can't make it any easier on myself or work any harder at it. Well, this is a creative paradox that I explore in my question, which you can hear if you join our Patreon campaign for just $1 a month. Come on, people. It's a bargain. Anyway, this week's episode is an example of a better kind of failure, since even though I was unable to get Miranda Zeiger, who wrote and performed Beach Bum, to join me on the show, I was able to get Bart Davenport, who introduced me to Miranda, and who played on the official recording of Beach Bum for her High and Low EP from 2017. Bart's been on the show more than a lot of people. He's one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and one of my favorite people, so... If I gotta fail, doing so with Bart is a happy kind of losing. Way better than doing it all alone, that's for sure. Of course, even when I think I'm doing this all alone, I'm not, because your listening affects these readings. Even if you are listening long after they took place. That's the quantum nature of synchronicity. I know it's hard to believe, and I can't prove it, but that's my contention, and you can make of it what you will. Take it or leave it. That said, I'm still a human with a desire to be recognized by those who I can see and feel in real time, which may account for my compulsively checking the download numbers on the podcast. Usually, the numbers are kind of low if I compare them to the numbers that nationally popular podcasts get, but who am I to feel bad about 20 people downloading the Radio 8-Ball podcast on a given day? If I actually met 20 people who said they enjoyed Radio 8-Ball on a given day, I'd feel like that was a great day. I mean, one of the best. I try to remember this when looking at these numbers on a graph that makes them look very small from my isolated attic in Olympia, and then... Occasionally, as I mentioned on last week's podcast, there's a big spike of 300, 400, or even 500 downloads in a single day. This usually means, I think, that one new listener has joined and downloaded a big chunk of our backlog. Last week, it was an anonymous Michigander from Grand Rapids, and this week, it appears to be someone from Lowell, Massachusetts. Now, Lowell, Massachusetts is probably best known as the birthplace of Jack Kerouac, although the most famous person to come from Lowell was probably Betty Davis, who was born there in 1908. Oh, what a collaboration that might have been. Kerouac and Davis. Whew. Anyway, Lowell is also the home of the first mass-produced soft drink in the U.S. called Moxie. Moxie's always been one of my favorite words, and... I found a can of their orange soda once and was so impressed by the look of it that I bought it and kept it as a souvenir. I used the word moxie on last week's episode to describe Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Barbara Stanwyck, but it could certainly be applied to Kerouac and Davis as well. 
It's a quality I aspire to, and I can only imagine that our newest friend and subscriber is imbued with it, as all Llewellyans must be to some degree. Thank you, whoever you are. I went to high school in that area. Who knows? Maybe we already know each other. Okay, so I think I've made it clear that you can get the most enjoyment out of the podcast by joining our $1 a month Patreon campaign, and I believe I've demonstrated how much subscribing to and downloading the podcast is a boon to my experience of the show. So if you know someone who might enjoy the podcast and they subscribe to it, I'll see another one of those big download spikes and probably give them a shout-out on the show. You can support this by introducing Radio 8 Ball to your friends who enjoy a little synchronicity with their music. The other ways to engage with Radio 8 Ball are, of course, downloading the Radio 8 Ball app and doing musical divinations with your friends, and, of course, leaving us great ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get our episodes as soon as they are released. And before we get down to digging into some musical synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the pop oracle song of the day from the day I had my conversation with Bart Davenport on September 24th, 2020. That song is... Wonder Rama Land by John Easdale of the band Drama Rama, recorded on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California, on September 12th, 2017. Hot, hot, hot. But the water's 
band and here we are on september 24th 2020 hanging out on the line with the return of bart davenport to the realm of the pop oracle welcome back again mr davenport is dd on the line yeah and you are here uh on behalf of uh, your friend, our friend, Miranda Zygar, whose song uh, Beach Bum came up as the answer to the question, well, as a response to the to, the, to that moment of harsh synchronicity when we got the news that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed on. And since you were the person who introduced me to Miranda, I figured you're the first person I'd reach out to to see if maybe... Uh, you might have something to say about that reading, but before we get into it, just tell it. Let's just check in with you. Where, 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 and how are you pandemicing, pandemicing this, uh, this fine uh, apocalypse? Well, on um, this particularly apocalyptic evening, uh, you're finding me over in Highland Park, the Highland Park neighborhood of uh, Northeast Los Angeles, and. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's California, so right now it's sort of like hell on earth, but we are finding ways to uh, get through it. Well, tell me, what's one thing that's going on in your life that, it, that, it, that inspires you, that feels good? It could be the smallest little thing, it doesn't need to be a global thing, but maybe something you're up to that uh, makes the days uh, a little bit brighter. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing is because right now there's just so, so much uh, bad news uh, coming from all sorts of different sides. And it's even just gotten to the point where there's the physical manifestations of all these things, too. When you have uh, wildfires out of control, 
and then it's making the air toxic for everyone, so you can't even go outside. And then you have uh, just uh, the the health crisis with the pandemic, where everywhere you go, everyone, of course, is wearing masks and trying to trying to be safe and whatnot. So you're always reminded constantly of these things uh, in the outside world. And so for myself, I've actually found songwriting and demoing songs and making little home recordings and whatnot a really a nice kind of escape from the outside world in that sense. I mean, even if your songwriting may end up having the influences of current events in some of the lyrics or something, how the mood kind of creeps into your song or whatever, um, or, or I don't know, for some folks, maybe it's a very cathartic thing to, to just go for it and, and talk about these issues and, and whatnot. But I found it like a really nice way to uh, temporarily escape <laughs> and get a little bit of a, a, bit, a little bit of a, an escape from all the bad news and, uh, and all that. So it's been that, that, that's been nice to have that. You know, uh, not everyone is an artist. So I'm hoping that other people have other ways that they can take a little time out from just the barrage of <laughs> just the hellscape that uh, we seem to be living in at the moment. Well, that's what Radio 8 Ball is here for, because in the realm of Radio 8 Ball, the listener is as much the artist, I mean, the artistry of this of this game and this practice is in the listening and the recognition as much as it is in the the delivery of of the actual art so we try to make our listeners into artists here or at least uh, reward the artistry of listening and along those lines when i when i told you about the reading about miranda's what about the song Beach Bum coming up as the response to that moment. I was riding my bicycle and talking with you and really wishing it was recording because you immediately recognized something about that song as an answer. And then we're, and then it turns out you actually have a relationship to that song beyond being a listener. I'd love for you to tell the listeners about what you think about that song as the answer to or as a response to the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yeah, I just thought immediately, wow, that's uh, that's Radio 8-Ball. I mean, it's, it's the song as an answer is a little bit vague and just not, not crazy on the nose, but when you just think about the melancholy mood of that song and I even think that Miranda as a writer almost celebrates melancholy that like melancholy is is uh, is almost a, a warm feeling <laughs> you know and because I'm really familiar with that song I've uh, I guess full disclosure, I've played guitar and bass uh, at gigs for Miranda over the years. And um, 
so I, I, I performed that song before, so I know it well. And I just thought, yeah, right. That's, that's Radio 8-Ball when you get these answers where um, it may not be that the lyric directly applies all the time, but it's something that there's definitely some synchronicity in the lyrics, but I think even more kind of the overall mood and sentiment of the song is a, a melancholy but sort of fuzzy and warm send-off uh, to RPG. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to dig into the personal aspect of like when you think when you obviously you have a personal connection with Miranda and you have a personal connection to Ruth Bader Ginsburg just like as a as a cultural figure uh, and obviously the passing of a of a I don't know a non-Republican appointed judge on the Supreme Court is personal to all of us I'm just kind of curious when you listen to this because I, I I'd love to you know there's there's sort of what it means in the grand what it could mean to all of us like for me, I mean, when you listen to it, I had a very personal reaction. I mean, I'll, like for example, the the women of my family were uh, on Cape Cod when this all happened. So, and I I missed uh, a family uh, Rosh Hashanah call, and and because during all of this, and they were sending me pictures of them at like from the beach, and. So when that... Oh, wow. Yeah, so it just like, it had this whole other personal whammy <laughs> that is not there in the yeah. song. It is not there in history. And unless I, unless they, they listen to this, the, my, the, the women in my family who sent me those pictures don't even know the wallop that they delivered with that. So I'm just curious for you, not in that moment, but going, but just like thinking about that, is there any place, you know, just synchronistically personally in your world that that lands that might have a, a, a unique detail I mean first of all now, now that is synchronicity I mean the song is literally about being at the beach yeah and I mean that's what you were getting right when the news was coming in and it's just uh, yeah wow I don't know, I guess I kind of like, uh, I think with any great song, and it's a great song, you put yourself oftentimes in the shoes of the protagonist. And uh, although with Miranda, I tend to see her in the song because she's a friend of mine and I, I, uh, I, I tend to sort of get a picture in my mind of her actually going to the beach and doing those things and stuff. But uh, a lot of times, oftentimes, you sort of project onto yourself and you think, okay, well, uh, especially if you sort of feel as if you can identify with the sentiment of a song. And uh, so when I try to apply the song as an answer to the oracle with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's it's like, of course, you immediately then 
start listening to the song as if Ruth is saying the lyrics herself, you know, as if Ruth is the, is the protagonist in the song. And uh, I, I, I think that's the part of it that's so touching is that the character in the song is ready to let go. It's ready to sail away, be swept away, but, you know, swept away by the sea, which we all will be someday. And um, don't make a schedule because we're staying all day. I really don't mind if I get swept away. I mean, it's like that's at the end of the day, uh, maybe staying all day is sort of like don't make a schedule we're staying all day, meaning that someone becomes sort of eternal uh, when they pass when they pass out of the, this this sort of mortal plane, right? And that, let's hope she wouldn't mind being swept away because she uh, led a long, wonderful life and had an amazing career and did so much for so many people. And it was finally her time to let go. And uh, so I feel like that lyric alone is just such a magical kind of send-off as far as it being a a uh, an answer from the oracle um and then uh the some of the other things in it are like uh uh the bridge what use am i to society how can i help anybody and i mean that is that is the question that most of us uh who aren't uh you know, in, in the system in, on that level, most of us who aren't judges or, or, uh, or politicians or, or uh, you know, public figures on that level, uh, we always, we're, that, that, that is such a universal question that most people ask, you know? And I think it's sort of cute and funny and sad to imagine RBG saying that. You know, <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, um, that's a, uh, because it's really a question that even someone in a powerful position, like a Supreme Court justice uh, could be asking themselves, you know, and, and, and that's, uh, it also, I think that, I think that the question being asked in the song isn't to say um, what use am I on no use at all. It doesn't. You don't have to interpret it that way. But it's just right now, within the two or three minutes of the song, all Miranda's going to do is go out to the beach and stare at the, stare at the sea and let the sun, you know let the sun uh, go down or something because that's all she ha that's all she can do today it doesn't mean like well i'll never be of any use to anyone ever you know what i mean it's something to do with the, the that melancholy mood of like you know what i'm just going out to the beach and i'm gonna lie in the sand and and i i, I feel like at the end of the day like okay so <laughs> even maybe supreme court justices have to <laughs> have to just sometimes throw up their hands and say, okay, I'm done. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, 
it you know it doesn't have to be perfect but you with with uh the pop oracle you always have these songs where there's something really magical about it as an answer you know <laughs> so i just when you when when i when when i found out that that was the response song it just hit me immediately like wow yeah it's funny that you well not funny but it's interesting to to, to focus in on that one line about how uh what use am i to society how can i help anybody if you think about it and i only just realized this as you were saying it but but if you think about it in terms of ruth bader ginsburg it's almost like before she did all that she did there that was much more of a question that a woman might ask is like what kind of difference can i make what you know i can't even legally have a bank account without a husband or a father or someone to to sign for it in most cases there's all these ways that how can i have an effect and then ruth bader ginsburg went into the law and helped change the law in a way to make it so that that question when miranda asks that question it's more of a like give me a break from having to have all this responsibility as opposed to and and there's something about it being on the beach where when you're looking out at the beach time uh, means less because the the landscape of what you're looking at rem- has remained the same. Like someone, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was a, a, a teenager, or a, maybe even Miranda's age, looking out at the sea and just thinking, "Is this a futile effort?" And then thinking of what where she, what she has achieved, being able to look out on that same sea, and the question, and it becomes more about like, okay, well maybe I can lay down this burden and someone else can take it on or something or the there's a, the futility isn't a societal futility because she knocked that societal futility down but then there's still the eternal futility to face which is that no matter how hard you try and hang on eventually you got to take a break and that's uh, maybe what i think is kind of at the core of what i get from the beach bomb is this sense of like it's okay to take a break. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that Miranda, like myself, is into capturing a sentiment or a mood in a song that may not be the way she feels every single day. Um, and it's kind of funny. It's like she wrote a song about being uninspired and having nothing to do or nothing to say. <laughs> but then she... Rather than actually going to the beach and and being a beach bum, what she did instead was stay home and write a song about that, yeah. which was then a totally inspired, beautiful bit of songwriting. So it, she's not even in the act of writing that song and actually doing something creative in response to feeling uninspired. She got inspired by being uninspired and then made inspired work. So. In fact, she's not, even in the act of doing that, she's not being the character that's in the song, right? If you follow that. Yeah, no, no, that's, that was something that I actually <laughs> dug into a little bit in the, the last episode of just like the paradox of like that, uh, just, yeah, just the paradox of, of someone who is so inspired uh, singing about being uninspired. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, 
it's like it's like uh, that's that's where I was coming from with Buck Fame. Yeah, you know that that was not supposed to be um, me sincerely one hundred percent putting my feelings about the topic of fame all into one song. It was me playing a character that is somewhat based on myself and some of my experiences. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't have minded if the song became a huge hit and made a ton of money. I wouldn't have minded that at all. Because there was a certain amount of irony to a person who's spent their whole adult life on stages and in studios making records saying fuck fame. And if people don't get that there's got to be a little bit of an ironic wink to that, then, you know, then they just lack a sense of irony or a sense of humor. But And that's fine. And if they think it's 100% on the nose, that that's totally fine. You know, whatever, if they, as long as they like it, I don't mind what they but it, it, songwriters, and I'm sure you can relate to this, we're never, we're never 100% ourselves. I don't care if it's like that confessional, <laughs> straight out of your journal kind of Stevie Nicks kind of approach. I mean, we're, there's already a level of, of it's, it, 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 it's like a you know, photographer who takes a self-portrait. It, still been doctored even if they didn't even if they didn't change uh, even if they didn't you know doctor it to have their complexion look nicer or something or crop the image or something it's it's the minute you make that image it's under your control and I think that's the same with songwriting and I mean yeah it, songwriting is cathartic and you get to express emotions and, and, and ideas in it that um, that are part of you and are very, very, very personal. But there's always this other level of it's also putting together um, verses and rhymes and choruses and little couplets and things into uh, a shape that ultimately you totally control. So um, I... I I, I get that when I listen to Miranda's work, that she is someone who draws from her own personal experience, but who is also deeply invested in the craft and someone who gets that, who gets that you have to, you have to have a good song. And I think uh, some sort of crazy 100% pages of your diary confessional songwriting, uh, which I doubt hardly any songwriters actually do, but it, but if one is going to go there, uh, I think it would be very difficult for that to be a good song. I guess it all depends on how you, yeah, I guess how you interpret that, you know, I mean, because I think on some level, I, it's almost the opposite is true, or equally true, which is that if I'm trying to think of if there's any song, like I've definitely had some goof around, like just craft type type work where it's like, but even then, if even if you think you're not writing a personal song, 
it ends up being a personal song. That's what I experience is that no matter how much I try, I write, like I think I'm writing about something else, like even pulling the sort yeah. of the Randy Newman trip and I'm, I'm doing a character and I'm yeah. singing. It's still psych, like it's still psycho, like a, like a psychological session or a therapy session. You're where you're doing a psychodrama and you're pretending to be someone else, but then you realize that the way you chose to be that other person to be is so telling about you and and it's like that it yeah. becomes so personal and it's sort of like if that I, I that's where i feel like it's the opposite like i feel like if that's not on some level true as a songwriter then i'm not saying you're not you're not a good songwriter but it's unlikely that you're going to be the kind of songwriter that i that i and you know that i gravitate to i love the you know that sense i mean i get it from you as a songwriter there's definitely a point of view that has no matter how much it changes i've never felt like oh here's this doesn't say you know here's a bart davenport song that doesn't feel like it's honestly bart i mean maybe i think maybe you're a little bit more of a craftsman in that sense than i am i definitely always have a seems to have a bugaboo that i'm like punching at and you're you're definitely you have a you're a more generous spirit as a as a songwriter, I think oh, you want to get people on the right. dance floor dancing with you. I'm like yelling oh, at them. Get, what are you? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? <laughs> no, I mean, man. You see, you're just describing the flip side of, of all of that, which is is absolutely true too. There's sort of a yin and a yang to that. And what that is is that what I'm saying is that uh, even with something that might sound totally confessional and straight from the heart and like this is every word is as it happens there's still some level of um disconnect where the artist has had to put this into a format the songwriting format and in the process um there's something about this that now is more the biopic version of reality Right, And what you're saying is that when an artist completely tries to disguise themselves as a character, like Pete Townsend would do, then there's still something of himself in every word of it, in every moment of that, right? Because Because there's a Freudian sort of side to trying to work that way, which is you're just, you're talking about yourself and you're using, uh, a lot of these characters and things is a bit of a smokescreen. So I think that's sort of both sides of the coin, and both are happening simultaneously on different levels. It's like you're leaning more towards a confessional, honest um, statement versus um, creating completely fictitious characters like, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber or something might be doing. And there's everything in between. But I don't think that people should uh, forget that when they're listening to a song, that it might, <laughs> that they're still listening to a song. I guess I guess yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, and, just because it's it, true doesn't mean that it's, I mean, it's it's like the truth of a moment. It's like the, it's like a Radio 8 ball yeah. answer. Like when I say, like, yeah. like these, these answers are not, permanent they were a reflection of a moment in which they happen and you know yeah. i'm not going to go out and from now on i'm going to think of ruth bader ginsburg as a beach as beach bum that's one piece of this 
now of the whole tapestry of what her life means to me. And since that was a very personal moment, that'll inform it. It's, it's sweet. But if I decided to then try and like make that what it's all about and like, okay, well, how can we like, we need to get Ruth Bader Ginsburg with beach bum put on, on t-shirts or something like that. Then it's sort of yeah, like, yeah. you're making way too much out of this moment because you're going to miss the next one, you know, the next moment. And, and I think that's yeah. what you're saying is like, if you think that because John Lennon wrote, why don't we do it in the road that he was into having sex in the road, well, then you're missing the point of it, which is like he, he had the impulse and that impulse was true. And he got the joke about it, that it's revolutionary and fighting, you know, street yeah. fighting man and being a like fighting in the road and fucking in the road are, equally revolutionary and in that moment that's who he was it was an honest i believe that that's a true song a true but sentiment hey, but, but hey that's paul though don't forget that's paul oh you fuck i'm such an idiot <laughs> wow i know that and you know this is why i have another podcast called the world is wrong because but in dude, that one i get dude, to be it's wrong a, it's the same point but dude it's a, it's a very john style song when I was a kid, I always about, thought like that they, was John. Yeah. Of course you did, because it's totally John's style. And it's bluesy, and it's raw, and it's kind of a little bit naughty. And it's totally because those guys used to imitate each other. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, Paul could totally do those kind of occasionally do those sort of like raw Lennon style songs. I mean, Lennon had to be his biggest influence, right? And yeah. the other way around is that like John was capable of writing like commercial sounding melodic, um, more sort of Baroque uh, music himself sometimes. And, and, you know, who was he? Who, what other songwriter did he pay more attention to? That's, right, that's for sure. His, his, his collaborator. So that it's 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 no wonder that you'd think that one of all songs because "Do It in the Road" and like um, uh, "Your Blues." <laughs> it's almost like this little game of one-upsmanship of like which you know who's going to write the better sort of raw bluesy song or something it's funny they're on the same album too yeah i still feel like i need to have yeah. like i need to have my my uh beatles like there's a part of me in the back of my mind like sorry you don't get to talk about the beatles for a month you have to go in the corner you may <laughs> that's not okay that's not you know that was a, i know you're being really nice bart but on my in my personal universe that's one of those things that oh <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. I've made I think it, it wasn't wasn't it um wasn't it uh, uh not and I might have this one wrong, but I thought it was Sinatra when he yeah had a sort of a semi-hit record with his cover of something. He was introducing it at the at the shows as a great Lennon McCartney song. Yep. Yeah, that is true. That you got that one and it and that's a Harrison tune, so Nobody knew Harrison, and people like Sinatra did not know the name Harrison. Yeah, but you know what? But what makes that story so funny is that Sinatra 
It was so out of touch. So, <laughs> and you know what? He, you know what? He, he had something going for him that I don't, which is that uh, he was Sinatra. <laughs> I'm, I, what am I? I'm a Beatles fan. I, you know, there's a. I want to. I want to just. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you are the Sinatra of something. I don't know what. I'm the Sinatra of synchronicity, man. That's that's what I am. There you go. Uh, and, there you go. And I feel like there's a nice little pivot here, thinking about songs that sound like other songs, because the song of today, and it's something we talked about when I had when he was on the episode, the song of the day, to randomly chosen by the uh, by the uh, Radio Eight Ball app, is uh, uh, Wonderama Land from John Easdale. And oh, yeah. this is a song that, when he was on the show, I, I pointed out to him that it had a, it bore a resemblance to a Bob Dylan song. But at the same time, it's obviously not. And that's a whole other kind of uh, songwriting conversation we can have. So I'm just kind of curious, first of all, did you have any synchronistic reaction to the song Wonderama Land performed by uh, John Easdale on September 12th, 2017 on Radio 8-Ball? Well, first of all, I absolutely, almost immediately recognized the resemblance to uh, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. Uh, and that's one of the things that you kind of immediately sort of trickle up when uh, it, uh, uh, when, a, when a songwriter has borrowed something of another song that's fairly obvious and it can give you a, a bias kind of against that song within the first few seconds and then you're listening to the whole song with this kind of bias against the songwriter or the performer uh, who did that um, because, you know, we just, we, we, we tend to assume that it's unoriginal. And this guy just turned me around within a few bars of me realizing it sounded like a Dylan song because him substituting kind of his own lyrics within Dylan's melody, I was interested in where those lyrics were going. There was something really unique about them, so he had me there. And then I kind of noticed how he was doing it over a really cool, very repetitive uh, uh, change of chords, and one that where. There's sort of three different chords going, but the root note or the bass note on the bottom, which is maybe like an E or a D or something, remains the, st the same and just pedals away while he moves around ab above it. Um, and so the chord pattern mixed with like some uh, lyrics that, that were definitely uh, uh, enticing to keep listening to he just held my attention, and I started to hear a song there that is kind of brilliant because it not only 
borrows from another brilliant song, but it has something of its own to say within that. And uh, that's that's no easy feat. I mean, I've never done it. And I, I just was really struck by it. it. It takes a lot of balls to take an existing melody for a classic song and put your own lyrics to those. And then it takes a lot of uh, compositional uh, talent to find a way to put the accompanying chords around that melody um, in there to recontextualize that melody. And then he has his own chorus and his own song there, and that doesn't sound... And the, the, I mean, the other pitfall that could happen with that is that you end up having your chorus sound like it was kind of stapled on, that it doesn't have anything to do with the verse. But in this case, it all flows. And so the whole song just completely flows, and it's got this little pinch of its ode to a Dylan song, but it has its own world that it lives within as well. And I was just very, very impressed by that. Um, so I actually had to listen to it twice just to like feel like, okay, am I, do I really think that? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I, I was I, I was just genuinely blown away by it, and, and for all those reasons, I'm trying to think about like. I don't know this place he's talking about, so for me it's completely like fictional to step inside the sort of world of Wonderama Land, wherever that is. I mean, maybe that's a real place, and I've just never heard of it. Uh, I mean, have I, you heard I think of it? it? I think it's more of a metaphorical place, right? So yeah. it's not like if you it's it's, so it's not like if you go to like Ohio, it's a theme park there. That right? I no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so I mean, in that case, he it's completely his own creation. Um, I don't know, just kind of like being stuck in L.A. Uh, because right now, uh, you don't, with the pandemic, you don't really get to enjoy this city on any of the levels that one normally can. I mean, most of the reasons I came here are currently canceled and I mean that's for the public good and, and I, I you know I'm, I'm certainly not against I am by no means against um, all the safety protocols at all but it just means that right now um, you don't get to go to all the great clubs and see all the great bands you don't get to go to all the nice restaurants. You don't get, you know, you, we can do some hiking in the public parks. And that's a nice thing about L.A. that's still there. But, you know, everyone's masked and whatnot. So it's, you're never not reminded of the pandemic. Right. Right. So I think it's sort of like being trapped in, it's, it's this, it, it really is hell. Because you're in one of the greatest cities on earth. And you don't get to enjoy it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, I was thinking back to how you had all those tapings of the podcast over in Burbank. It's like, man, remember that? <laughs> remember yeah. how you had that studio, and you brought in sometimes like 
20 people. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, like some of the tributes, like the Joni Mitchell tribute, was wild. I mean, you had so many people there, and it got crazy. As historically, anyone that follows the podcast knows. Yeah. Um, but it's like that is indicative of the kinds of things that could happen in L.A. Yeah. And right now, none of that's happening. I mean, that the thing that was going on with you recording those podcasts and just groups of people able to just come in the studio at random, I mean, invited, but at random, meaning showing up whenever they could get there and all that. It's yeah. like, um, that whole thing is just, a, all of that is on hold. And I mean, not just that. The Philharmonic has canceled two seasons worth of performances uh, if you count Hollywood Bowl and the Walt Disney Concert all together, um, think how many uh, and think how many symphonies they have had to cancel performance. I mean, if you think about all of the culture that, that exists here and how much of that is on hold, and that's really uh, what I thought about as far as being stuck in one one drama land because. You're in this wonderful place, but you're actually sort of stuck there. I mean, it's not like, I, I, I mean, I know I have some freedom of movement. I suppose I could move to some other city, but then I'll be stuck there, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is this is not a, it's not located to one place. So it is, I mean, there's, it's certainly acute what you're describing the because it takes a lot if you're not from LA and I think this is true of New York and other major cities in that way that if you're not from that place it takes a lot to go there and the reason that you put yourself through it is for exactly the very kind of things that we just can't do in this particular COVID climate and so, I mean, uh, yeah, the song's it, sort of, I don't know, misanthropic attitude, you know, let's, uh, what's the line about that first line? Toss some jacks and eat some pez. I'm stuck in Wonderama land. <laughs> so you know, good. You know, it's a kid's, it's like, it's sort of a kid's thing. Like, it, yeah, it's like, it's, oh, here's all the candy you can eat. Like, okay, and that maybe that's like the feeling the first time, like the first month of lockdown. It's like, oh, it's kind of nice to take a break from what it always was. But then it sets in and you're like, oh, I've just got, oh, Pez for dinner again? <laughs> you know, like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed cool the first night, Mom, but <laughs> after six months, can I have some broccoli? <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, yeah, Jax I mean, I is just, fun, I, but I want to go outside. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I look out my bedroom window and literally see Echo Park Lake. And for so long, this made me feel so lucky. Yeah. To just be able to step out my front door and have sort of what's great about LA right there at one sort of 
one for sort of great place in LA, just right outside. And uh, I'm and I'm looking out there now, and you know they actually do still have the swan boat going, and and uh, I guess you know people who come in as a sort of a, a pod of people, right? Um, can come out, you know, enjoy the pedal boats, the swan boats. And, uh, but one of the really dystopian factors is that there was always a small contingent of homeless folks living in tents in, uh, around the lake. Um, and uh, ne- never any real trouble. Those people weren't, weren't um, causing any real harm. They're just having to live outdoors because that's capitalism um but uh it's the number of tents around the lake has i think tripled since COVID 19 started and uh so it is the you look out there now and it's just uh so symbolic of how um this country just doesn't take care of its own people and that's and and i and i think the response to the pandemic is indicative of that and uh i mean it's it so it's also kind of this paradise lost feeling i mean look out at this beautiful public park and the public are using it as best they can, which is meaning that they they need to sleep there. You know, yeah, they're making the best they're making the best possible use of Echo Park Lake. They are sleeping there, and um, it's uh, that's 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 a pretty sad statement on where we're at as a society that I, I think that the pandemic is just signaling and making it clear as day that unchecked capitalism will fail is failing will fail the majority of citizens and I've always thought that but I've managed to kind of get by myself and you know, and just struggle through and and survive somehow all these years and I've always said that to myself but now we're having these these events that take place that just really really bring it home and I hope that people who weren't thinking that before are starting to understand it now you know I hate to get so political all of a sudden well it and seems I'm like not... you might be I, I, I feel like you're kind of winding yourself up towards your question is what it feels like well, I, don't, I didn't actually bother preparing a question. Oh, okay. But, uh, but, but I have to have one. That's part of the deal, man. Yeah. So let's, <laughs> let's come up with one. Well, while, while right. you're thinking about it, I just wanted to point to, to let people who are not from Los Angeles know. Uh, luckily, Los Angeles has been very well documented on film. And if you're curious to get to, to know what Echo Park Lake is, if you've ever seen the movie Chinatown, it's the lake that uh, Hollis Mulray was photographed uh, riding around in a boat uh, on a boat in uh, 
by Jack Nicholson and his his crew of uh, his henchmen as a as a detective at the beginning of the movie Chinatown and that park more recently uh, it was featured I actually I got kind of obsessed and was watching volcano movies so I watched Dante's Peak and Volcano and in the movie Volcano does a lot of action that is focused on Echo Park and includes uh, a lot of the like a, a the, the homeless population of Echo Park are featured as characters in the movie oh, really? Volcano. Yeah. So uh, so you so it's almost like if this was a if this was a video show, which it's not, it's an audio show, but if it was a video show while you were talking, I could have grabbed uh, footage from the movie Volcano and it would have gone uh, b- before the volcano goes at the, at the beginning when things are still normal in LA. Um, anyway, have you ever right, seen the no. movie Volcano? No, but like, right, still normal in L.A., right? 60,000 homeless people. Right. Uh, it's a... If you if you live in L.A., it is a film that is definitely worth seeing because basically a, volca- a lot of it happens at the corner of Fairfax and Wilshire. Wow. And they just like... So there's a volcano that explodes out of the tar pits and to and to watch that all happen in the place that you know so intimately is kind of you know part of the fun of those kind of films the catharsis of watching a place you know get destroyed by a volcano and then being able to walk out and see that it's still there is a sort of a i don't know for me it can be a a pleasing trick that cinema uh can play but i've been just sharing this information so that you could have a moment to ponder your question you just uh I'm not running out the clock, but I'm buying you a little bit of time. You got? Do you have your question? <laughs> you have something uh, that you're thinking of? Well, you know, um, let's see here. What do you think, Andras? Should I make it personal, or should I make it something more to do with everybody? Well, sort of like we were saying before, if you ask it about everybody, it's going to be personal. And if you ask it personal, yeah. it's going to be about everybody. Yeah, I tend to right. suggest asking the personal question. Right, right. I'm going to go personal. We talked about Echo Park Lake. And I'm actually uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be moving to uh, Highland Park. And so, um, changing apartments. So I'm no longer going to have that view of the lake, but I'll have a view of some other things outside my window. So the question for the Oracle is this. I'm I know how it is in Echo Park. I know that apartment. I'm changing my scenery and I'm going to have a new apartment. So the question to the Oracle is, what will my new apartment be like? What it be like? And now give it a shake. Giving it a shake right now. Boom. Your answer is 
Say Goodnight by Britta Phillips. One, two, Top. one, two, three, four. It's cold without the summer sun And the colored leaves are almost gone It doesn't seem it's been too long For me to turn and go back home It's all been said and taken back before Don't forget to slam the door I can't keep my eyes open Unless I look at the moon Cause a sparrow at night don't mean it's morning And it'll all be over much too soon Dream it in a dream There was a place, there was a name From Dallas to Austin to Houston No one noticed what we were doing But I fell in love with how far we had fallen She was fixing it off the. Uh, it was. It's, it's really yeah, there. I just sang it oh, wrong. Oh, you almost took it away from me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. There's so much. Uh, there's so much goodness here. That was. Holy shit! Let me just uh, introduce this, the song. That was "Say Goodnight" from Britta Phillips, performed originally on August sixth, two thousand eighteen, on Radio Eight Ball, and that song was the answer at the time to a question from Dino Stamatopoulos, who was the reason we were at Starburns in the first place. So that was the answer to Bart to your question: What will your new apartment? be like um holy cow man holy holy cow what a great what a great synchronicity yeah (laughs) wow well and what a a great song and uh it's it's great because you're a bass player as well and and britta is playing bass 
and singing oh. there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, you know, the first thing that happened was I got distracted by uh, how great the bass tone was. Um, it's that perfect kind of 60s Nashville countrypolitan picked muted bass kind of sound that I just love. And I was thinking, you know, oh, I, I, the bass player on this thing, you know, a lot of, a lot of the uh, shows are sort of acoustic solo and whatnot. And it was great to hear like a nice prominent bass. And I thought this might be, a, I don't know this songwriter. So I thought it was a, probably a singer songwriter who brought a bass player along, but she plays the bass when she's singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Britta's, Britta's great. Uh, you probably, she was the voice of Jem. You know, Jem, the, the cartoon rock band singer are you familiar with that oh my god that's her yeah that's her uh <laughs> she's also oh, wow. she's also the lead singer and a bass player in the band luna she's married to dean wareham um yeah and yeah she's just she's a she's definitely a cat and she's also incredibly down to earth in fact she ended up on radio eight ball the first time because as you know I I get an argument. I will. I less now, but I uh, I've been known to get in a lot of arguments online, political debates. And she and I got into a political debate that turned into, uh, I don't know, like it's sort of like when you meet someone who debates well, even if you don't end up agreeing, you end up with a certain amount of respect. I feel like I've had that with you. Again, there's a lot of you in this reading because she plays bass. She's like this cool, like you don't know who she is, but as soon as I start telling you who she is, you're like, oh, that's her? You know, she did that, she did that. Like you're both sort of underground cool cats and bass players and people who I've debated with respectfully online. And it's and in a way that's only bred more respect. So I just feel like all of that synchronicity, that personal synchronicity, is there while I'm listening to it. Like, oh, this is kind, of, this is perfect for Bart. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, and uh, Luna is like a huge uh, band for some people, and I, I'm going to out myself and say that uh, I I haven't really heard of that much of their music, and I I keep. Uh, I keep meaning to check them out because uh, they. Uh, I, I know that the there's other musicians out there who are huge fans. I know they've been a really influential band. Well, this is what I'm all about here, man. Bart, it's like a party. I'm introducing. It's like when you show up at one of the parties that I've thrown. I'm like, oh, Bart, you should really meet yeah. this person. You should. You two would totally get along. And then the next thing I know. It's an hour later and I come into the kitchen and you're still sitting there talking with my buddy Walt or with, in this case, maybe checking out Luna. So, uh, Right. Yeah. I, I, keep, I kept reminding myself, I had to listen to them. It's like, there's so many people I admire who admire them. So uh, I kept meaning to do that and never got around to it. That's a long list of bands, though, I got to say. There's so many that... Uh, I'm like, yeah, I got to check that. I still have to check that out. Well, let's just go back to the reading because that let's because let's you asked a personal question. Yeah. And this is all context. But I but the answer hit you before you knew any of that. The answer hit you in a very personal way. You were sort of uh, at the beginning of this sort of 
just in a stunned, like, wow, wow, whoa, wow, kind of place. Do you want to unpack a little bit of that wow for us? Yeah, so I got a little distracted by uh, loving the sound of bass. So I had to, had to rewind and start at the beginning again. Because <laughs> I was just listening to the bass for, like, the first verse. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, cold without summer sun... I mean, I'm going to be moving in, uh, ostensibly, it'll be fall, which for L.A. is Indian summer, and mm-hmm. it is still going to be hot as hell. But eventually, not long after that, it's going to be leading into winter. And so, yeah, like that's, I could see myself there in the cold, uh, you know, winter period that she intros with. And, uh, you know, she's going along, starts talking about turn and go back home, right? And then, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny. <laughs> because, like, you know, you know, once you sign the lease, there is, you really can't do that. I mean, <laughs> but also, where is home? I mean, home for me is really the Bay Area. It's not a, a different apartment within L.A. So then it could be that it's, presaging some feeling I'm going to get about wanting to go back, literally back home, which would, would, would be Oakland or Berkeley or maybe San Francisco or something like that. So that was a funny thing. And but it, it seems to be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're more familiar with the song now than me, but something to do with that, getting that feeling that you might want to do that. Like you, like you're getting an itching to go back, almost like a nostalgic itching to go back. And, um, with the whole COVID thing, I have really missed the Bay area. And I've been having these vague fantasies that, uh, and that's all they really are at the moment, but these kind of vague fantasies of some point living in uh, San Francisco or Oakland or something like that. So that was interesting. And then uh, it's all been said and taken back before, which is uh, such a great line. Wow. And uh, right. Like we, we do this, we make these big changes in our life and then we, and then we try to uh then we try to say, well, I, you know, I wanna take it back. I wanna you know <laughs> I wanna take back what I said. How many how many times do we go in in a life do we go through the cycle of making some statement that we are delusional enough to think is absolute and then end up taking it back? You mean like so, uh, no, saying that John Lennon wrote, why don't we do it in the road? I'm not going to yeah. let myself off the hook for that one ever. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. It's sort of like saying, I'm going to go back home. I'm yep. through with this place. Yep. And then before I know it, I'm actually in my new apartment and thinking, you know what? I'm good here. I don't need to go back to the Bay. <laughs> right. So, uh, I think it's just a, and it's, it, she's dealing, she's talking about things to do with nostalgia and also talking about 
when you kind of get to a place in life, most of us who get to maybe middle age or so, you have these, you start to see the patterns of repeating and it's like, okay, I've said a lot of things. I don't know if I, you know, I could, if I could, I'd take back half of them or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then there's, there, there was a place, there was a name. It's like, yeah, that was real. Okay. That's not just a dream. That was a real thing. And I remember sleeping through a dream. So it's like, okay, if you lived the dream, but you slept through it, I mean, what an incredible line. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, sparrow at night don't mean it's morning. And this is so great for uh, Highland Park or Echo Park because there are these night birds and you have uh, the night birds acting like it's morning and you're going, it's like you're going to bed, you're going to sleep and they're up already celebrating like it's morning. And it's really funny. And uh, I, I think for someone who doesn't sleep well, it could, it might actually bother them. But for me, I just, uh, I actually enjoy it. Um, and they're always a reminder that it's uh, spring or summer again. So that's also kind of like I'm trans, uh, I'm getting ready to move in the fall, kind of transitioning out of summer, transitioning out of the time of the night bird. Um, and me- metaphorically, I'm, uh, you know, thinking that it's like just because, um, it's sort of like just because they're just because you're hearing hints of it or hearing sounds that might indicate it, it's not a new day. And I think what that kind of says is that like, okay, I'm making a move. I'm going to change my immediate surroundings, but we're really not out of this era, the COVID-19 era of which I'm going to be mostly indoors, not getting to participate much in social activity not getting to uh, uh, play music in bands or any of those things. It's going to be like a a more insular um, experience. And so uh, that that one kind of, I don't know, what's it going to be like? Well, all of these things are describing that. and at the same time, it doesn't sound like it's going to be bad. It just sounds like I'm going to be experiencing some um, some of that ennui that that uh, happens when you get nostalgic because you you've been in your own head too long, and uh, that maybe I should understand that it's really just another move. And that it doesn't mean like a whole new day. Uh, and then finally, she says, uh, the, the, uh, say goodnight. She closes the song with, which I feel like uh, has something to do with, yeah, I mean, this is where you live. Relax and say goodnight. Like it, that, that's what, that's where she turns this whole, uh, this this great 
this great tune into a sort of a lullaby with with that, you know. So it's sort of like a there's a lot of baggage that we're all carrying at this point in our lives, and yeah, yeah, it's it was all real, it was all true, but it was all just a dream, <laughs> and uh, you know. You can unpack some more of this stuff in the morning, but for now, just because there's a sparrow singing does not mean it's time to get up. It's actually time to say goodnight. I don't know. That's and I only listened to the song one time, all the way through. So I may be getting, I may be misinterpreting a lot of what she's saying. And no, no, that's the, that's some. no, that's great. I think that the. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I have a lot more context around the song, and of course. I'm going to try and get Britta to be a guest on next week's show, and she has even more context on the song. And so your immediate in-the-moment connection, like, it might be... Like, I know we're focusing on the words, but like you say, you were really, at first, what grabbed you was the sound of the bass. And when I think about the song, as as you're unpacking it, you're right, there's a lot of... There's a lot of endings and a lot of... The, the lyrics just on their own outside of how dreamy and welcoming that music is. It's almost like a home is a dreamy and welcome, a good home is a dreamy and wel- welcoming place for you to have complicated and contradictory feelings and thoughts inside. Right. And so for me, what I was getting so much was just the musical tone of it. Yes. Say goodnight. Although then there's, I was also curious about, you didn't, focus on the the line don't forget to slam the door which i was sort of oh, I, oh, the oh, one that really oh, yeah, yeah. grabbed I, me yeah i just i absolutely i just forgot to write it down <laughs> but that was totally that one went by and i was like whoa yeah yeah That's good which is seems so at odds with the with the musicality which is so again very but it's sweet in a sort of a velvet underground kind of way like is this sweet or is it like, did you get that feeling that sort of it's sweet, but it's also knowing maybe it's that, that knowingness that makes yeah. it. So it's not like, it's not sweet. Like the monkeys are sweet. It's sweet. Like, well, it's like, wise at the same time. Yeah. Sweet and wise. Exactly. Like it's a sweetness yeah. that, that covers something that is a little bit more like complicated. Right, and yeah, and so kind of the vel- the velvet song I'm thinking of is if you close the door, right? Mm-hmm. That one, but, yeah. Uh, but this, it, there's a sort of a velvet, uh, mellow grooviness of like like a Sunday morning, or that's I think that was the one that I was thinking of. Yeah. That had that feeling. It's and I, also it's a great like this taking a one four five progression and putting such unique lyric and melody and singing performance over it to take a progression that has just been beat into the ground and somehow put new life right over it in a way that makes it so thoroughly enjoyable and, and I almost think that the 
the chord pattern being so standard, I mean, that, that standard, beyond standard, I mean, just, just, you know, the most cliched chord progression on earth. And to take that, and that's almost kind of like, gives you this feeling of, uh, of familiarity, this feeling of home. And so then it opens you up to uh, be sort of uh, uh, sort of lulled by all these really interesting lyrical lines. I think it's a it's a great use. It's it's to me sometimes I need proof that a standard overly used chord pattern can still be relevant. And this is proof right here that you can take the same three chords that are in one million other songs and make it totally original. I also want to point out that you invented a new word that I love, and I'm going to try and find ways to use it in my vocabulary. You said (laughs) familiarity. Which is like, oh, it's like when someone else thinks something is hilarious that you think is hilarious, but not everyone else gets it. Like, oh, we have familiarity. Yeah, I find I find that really funny too. <laughs> Wait, is that not a word? <laughs> well, it's familiarity, but f- familiarity is like, oh, oh I'm just... that's like a, an inside joke with the family. Like, if you come from a oh, funny man. family that gets the, uh, they, like, I get that it's not, that thing is not funny, but around our table it is, because it's, because it's familiarity. I'm just pronouncing it, I'm just pronouncing it the way Jimmy Carter would in the, have. In the realm, in the realm of synchronicity, there's no, I'm just, there's most, there's just, really there is recognizing when wonderful little things happen. And, no, but, so like he would say he would say nuclear instead of nuclear, right? He's That's not the, the only Jimmy one. Carter, the Jimmy Carter accent, he'd say nuclear instead of nuclear, mm-hmm. right? So if you say familiarity instead of uh, wait, now I'm pronouncing it correctly. So I'm now sorry. are you now from the deep <laughs> from, from this the deep south of yeah, Berkeley? Yeah, no, familiarity. <laughs> You're like familiar. So it's like familiarity. It's like hilarity mixed with familial. Yeah, I love it. It's it's an, an inside joke that only like it's there is a, what I love about it is that it gets to a kind of a truth, which is that thing when you're in a room and something happens and you laugh and nobody else does, but you notice that there's one other person who is like. Oh, they got it too. And you're like, okay, I got to talk with that person. They're like, they're fan. Right, right. We got a familiarity going on here. Like, nobody else gets that joke, but we're going to be friends. I know we're going to be friends because, you know. So, so I, I either want to say it with like, uh, uh, like a austere sort of Georgia Jimmy Carter accent, like familiarity, <laughs> or I, I want to say it with like East Coast, like yeah, it's like familiarity. That's that's it. The other one sounded like one of your singing voice that I was it made me think that there's a certain voice that you intone on some of your records and I never thought that you were doing Jimmy Carter. But familiarity when you get down to that place. I'm like, oh now I'll listen uh, to Bart to your songs differently. I'll be like, oh, he's doing the Jimmy Carter voice. I have a lot of familiarity with nuclear weapons. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I hope that's, I hope you're only, you're only kidding. Cause, uh, you know, <laughs> you don't want any nuclear weapons in, in Highland Park. I believe they're banned in Highland Park. It's a, it's a groovy little neighborhood and we, they want to keep it, uh, nuke free. Well, we're going to seek towards my question here in a second, but before we do, you sort of, I'll cut this out if the answer is no, but you sort of suggested that you were being creative in this time. Is there a possibility that there's going to be a new, you have, might have a new Bart Davenport song to share with us that I can put on the outro of this, uh, of this section? Why, yes, Andras. There's actually uh, this tune I wanted to share with you that I recorded with my friend Johnny, and he recorded this song on four-track cassette, and it's called Two Leftist Feet. <laughs> nice. Two Leftist Feet. For four-track Tascam? I think it, I think it was a Tascam. Oh. Well, it's not... A, no, it's not the 388, the big reel-to-reel. No, 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 like the eight, little, eight like track. back from the, the little four-track Tascams that like came out in like yeah. 88, 89. The, the, yeah, like a very elaborate Porta Studio. Yeah. Yeah, I love those. I learned I learned how to, I, I think I recorded my first demo, first couple of demos on, on those. He will want there to be a link to his website where he explains all these recordings. And it's actually a whole series of four-track recordings where friends of his would come over and do the song all in one session. And um, very little, uh, you know, very few takes, um, very little editing or fixing later. Just kind of like, let's get the song down and as kind of as raw as possible. And and you'll hear that uh, it's pretty raw, but, um, you know, we were allowed to do a couple of takes and things and fine-tune the lead guitar tone and things like that. But it's it's it has a, a spontaneity to it that I really love. Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening with our guest, Bart Davenport. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app. And if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store. And finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my Pop Oracle reading, where I ask, Is giving up? The next level of excellence. The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with Bart Davenport's latest recording, Two Leftist Feet, featuring producer John Gutenberger on drums and Bart on everything else. The song is part of Gutenberger's Eagle Tracks project, and I'll include a link to the full project in the show notes. And with that, I'm out. Until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. This is your favorite song, and I want to dance with you. When
gone Happy to be just 